you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, Tubi, and Amazon Prime, too. Rate it wherever you can. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently making others, including a horror comedy called Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep who used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. And that is me in a nutshell. This week, we are doing something very different, which I've actually wanted to do for like a year now since we went to the Austin Film Festival. And we are speaking to short filmmakers. Oh, my God. Short filmmaking time. We have filmmakers Annie Hugh, Brian Poser, and Jeffrey Prather, all who screened at the Hell's Half Mile Film Festival, on the show to talk about why they made their short films, how they raised the money for their films, what their expectations were for their films, and how they ended up getting them all made. It's really fun. It's a completely different type of show than normal, but I think for all the people who are making short films or want to make short films, this will be a really great um, interview and, and discussion. After that, we play another round of the game but first liz how are you doing i'm good i'm having a hard time writing and i know we bring this up a lot we're always like did you write did i write how many pages did you get done and we got notes back from a production company the deal is not signed we haven't decided to even go with this production company but we like their notes and so ate my co-writer and i amy weeks ago weeks ago we're like here's what we're gonna do let's this is how we're dividing up the work And then I've just had a very hard time even opening up Final Draft. I've had a like a to do list item that was like print script because I was thinking maybe if I print the script, it'll be easier. And then I keep on making excuses like, oh, I don't want to waste any paper. Do we have enough ink? I don't know if I have time to print this script. Like I just am talking myself out of any progress on the revising front. So I thought it might be worthwhile to mention that on the show because it's always like kind of, I don't know, I always feel like we work our best when we admit the scary things that we're going through in filmmaking. Yeah, talk about the the problem. So do you have any methods that you're trying of like how to get around this to how to like just oh. force yourself? Like, do you set like a timer? Like, okay, I'm going to write for an hour or 30 minutes. Have you done any of that stuff? I've done nothing. <laughs> Like, it's just in my head as something I need to do. Poor Amy. I like email her like once a week being like, nope, still haven't done anything. Sorry about that. Is she already done with all her stuff that she was supposed to do? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And I haven't even read it. I haven't even read the stuff that she did. I swear. So what has worked with me in the past when I've been in this situation, which I have been in a lot, is just setting an hour in your schedule to do it. Just like take an hour of your day, mm-hmm. just put it on the calendar. Like it's a business meeting. Like it's the biggest business meeting that you'll ever have and just stick to it. And like that usually works for me. Sometimes I find ways to convince myself that, that I can cancel those things, but most of the time it actually works, which is great. The other thing that I've been doing is like whenever I'm indulging in something that's for me, I always like look at my computer and I'm like, all right, you just need to, like, don't play another level of Mario Wonder right now. Like, you don't need to do this. Like, yeah. Mario will be here. Like, you need to open up your laptop. And, it, and if you, even if you're not going to write, like, read the last thing that you wrote again 
and just read it. And if you just at least read it, it'll help your brain start to be thinking about what to do next or if you want to change anything. And if you get lucky, you might actually write something, you know, in that time after you read it. So that's what I've been trying to practice. I haven't been doing such a good job lately. But yeah, I mean, the other day I was playing Mario Wonder and I turned it off <laughs> and I opened up my, my computer and I reread what I had written. And I think I wrote like maybe half a page. And I was like, all right, well, it wasn't a whole page, but you at least you wrote half a page. Half and a page is good. It's just like a little bit more of this scene that I've been working on for a while. And, it, and it's been a good scene to, to get through. It's just like it's sort of a little a long it's a longer sequence in the movie and so i think it's like i'm struggling with it because a lot of the other ones have been shorter and like i need i just need to get through this like stupid technical alien spaceship part which like you know i get really lost in sometimes of like she's gonna have to enter this and then she has to put this in and then this will happen and it's like you know making those things as simple as possible are always the best i'm like kind of stuck in the mire of that right now but uh I see the light at the end of the tunnel, so I don't know. But I mean, that's the best advice I can give is just like force yourself any way you can. Scheduling, making yourself feel guilty, like whatever it is. I'm if you're like, watching another episode of Frasier, like maybe not watch an <laughs> episode of Frasier and maybe just, I don't just, watch it know. alone, Ulrich. I watch it with Sean. <laughs> Tell Sean to, 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 to skip it, you know, like he can, uh, he can, he can watch something else. He can watch another Joe Bob without you or something. Oh, no, he would never. <laughs> he would never. I think the issue is I feel so guilty that I'm frozen. Like the guilt's not going to help. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the guilt will just make me feel more frozen. <laughs> but I think it's I need to find the fun again of writing. And I will try your calendar hold idea, though I am very good at canceling meetings with myself. It is mm-hmm. number one skill mm-hmm. that I have in mm-hmm. life. But I will try. That's what I'm going to do for this week. I'm going to try. And maybe if I say this on a podcast that people listen to, I will actually do it. You'll start getting tweets from people like, hey, did you write your page yet this week? Did you open up the script, Liz? Did you (laughs) (laughs) have you done anything at all, Liz? Uh, What are you Uh, going through right now? Yeah, I think a a little bit of the same thing. But I mean, I feel like I I had such good progress for a couple of weeks where I was like writing like two to three pages a week where I was like, yeah, I'm God of writing. I can do anything (laughs) I want. I'm so good. And now I'm like back to my old self where I'm just like barely can get a half a page off a week or whatever. You know, I've been watching the kids full time, which has been really crazy and fun. And I'm like. I'll hit 10 o'clock or 10.30 and I'll just literally fall asleep on the couch. And that's just like I have no energy at all. You stay up till 10. I'm sorry. I'm still very confused by that. That is like mind blowing <laughs> that you stay up till 10. <laughs> I have a daughter who requests to sleep in till 8. And if we wake her up at 8, she gets mad. So. Oh, so you have the morning to play with. Is what, <laughs> the morning. Yeah, I do not. A little bit. Yeah, I don't have to get up at 5.30 or 6. Although on this trip... The very first time my daughter woke me up at 4.50 this morning and like, Dada, time to start the day. And I didn't have my phone with me. So I was like, OK, yeah, let's see what time <laughs> it is. Let's, let's open up the window and walk downstairs. We go downstairs. It's like 4.50. I'm like, little girl, we have to go back to bed. <laughs> we cannot be up at five. So I got her to sleep for another hour. But then at 6.50, nice. she's like, she's like, nope. 
we're up now. I'm like, all right, little girl, let's let's do it. And we had a little. We watched the sunrise and ate, we ate scones together. Oh so my that god, fun. that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. No. So what's going on with me? I'm I'm still making moves, emailing people, trying to get you know some stuff going, getting advice. I I have a potential meeting. Well, maybe we'll see. Maybe it might just be some advice through email, but like a potential con- connect connection with a manager. So we'll see how that goes. And and this guy reps directors who have made lots of genre movies, like low budget genre movies, like 1 million to 2 million range, you know? So like, he'd be a really good person to, to get to know and like to pick their brain. So I'm hoping I get like a, just like an informational interview type deal from this, but we'll see fingers crossed. And then, yeah, just trying to, you know, Get get more work. Stay busy. Oh, I'm gonna work on a movie. That's cool. I'm gonna Ooh. I'm doing a little uh, pre breakdown of a film. So like doing the schedule so they can see like you know are there 22 days of of, of shooting realistic to the script that they've written. And I read like 15 pages of the script and it's already like no <laughs> like 1,000 locations. Of, oh, just, no. just like no. a half a page. In a location that only appears once. Another half a page in a location that only appears once. Characters that are like... It's like, oh, Jacob at three. Jacob at five. Jacob at oh, eight. Geez. Jacob at twelve. <laughs> it's oh, like, my God. Like, oh, my God. Like, we do not... Do we really need to see this character in so many different ages? Like, and they're not long. It's, like, short. It's, like, just... Can we see him as a baby or as three? Can we go three to 20? Like, or please, slap a hat on him in between eight and 10, maybe. Yeah, maybe you could so- do that. Something. I don't know. It's just like so much casting, so many locations. It's like this movie is already going to be hard in a 22 day schedule just from reading, just not even 20 pages of it. So, yeah. so that'll it'll be a fun challenge but yeah I'm, that's that's like the job i have right now so i actually have to do that i'm getting paid so that's nice so i actually should celebrate that a little bit more that i actually got a paid gig to do yeah so that's cool. and, and in a movie that i want to work on and then there's a there's a potential chance that i could be hired to work as a producer on the movie maybe or something so like if I still don't have work, you know, in the new year, like there's a job for me potentially, you know, it just would mean I'd be away from my children, which would blow. But yeah. And then I'm trying to write more. Yeah. I don't know. I'm getting, getting a little pumped about the whole, like do it yourself, make your own movie with like your, on your own terms sort of thing. Like you're doing with best friends forever. So I'm sort of like, you know, I'm writing the movie in that way. And I'm thinking already about like what, what scene, what I shoot for very little money is the proof of concept for the movie, because like that would probably be the first step to fundraising is like sh- like having the script done, shooting the proof of concept, and then like slowly over the next like three years like raise the budget and then make the movie myself in my hometown. Yeah. That's like yeah. the ultimate goal for that project. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. The other thing that's really important that you could try to do is to check us out on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. This is now, we don't have any more sponsors really. So this is now the sole way the show is being kept alive. This is how our editor, Jeffrey Vrymood, is getting his paychecks is through Patreon. So if you love the show, come support us. You can also listen to all the back episodes of the show. If you give us a buck 99 a month to support us in that way, then you'll get access to the back catalog. So check that out. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Annie Hugh. 
Brian Poser, and Jeffrey Prather. We just want to start off with an ID so everyone can know your voice in association with your projects. So maybe we'll just go alphabetically by first name. Can you, so we'll start with Annie. Can you say your name, your role on the film, and the name of the film? And it maybe even a brief thing about what it was about. And then also where you're from, because I want to know like where everybody is geog- geographically. Okay, I'll try to remember all that. Um, okay. Hi, this is Annie Hu. I'm the director, writer, lead actor and editor of Lunchbox. I'm based in New York City, and Lunchbox is a short drama. The logline is when a Taiwanese-American woman prepares lunches from her childhood, she struggles to forgive herself for pushing away her immigrant mother. You did it. You did it all. <laughs> I did it. Wow, amazing. <laughs> my name's Brian Poyser. I live in Austin, Texas, which is where I made my film, Don't You Go Nowhere, which I wrote, directed, and edited. And Don't You Go Nowhere is about a, a jazz singer who during his weekly set makes an unexpected connection with a fan so it's a, a musical drama and i'm jeff prather i'm the writer director and editor of mine cannot touch it's about a grieving mother that brings back her dead daughter as a hologram and i'm based in los angeles and i'm from new orleans nice awesome so the the big question the super broad question why make a short film in the first place like, what was the, the point of your movie? Did you have, like, any any desires from it? Or is it just because you had to make it? Like, tell us why you made the movie you made. Well, I've made three features. And it's a hell of a lot easier and a hell of a lot cheaper to make a short film <laughs> than it is to make a feature. Uh, I've been trying to get another feature off the ground or, you know, multiple other features off the ground for, like, 10 years. In that time, I, you know, had a child and got started teaching and a bunch of other things. And so, you know, short films are just so much easier to pull the trigger on and actually like make happen. And I had done a number of short films. And so this, and it was not really thinking that I wanted to make another one, but for me, I, it really came down to coming across this singer, this real um, musician in Austin and wanting to make a movie, putting him on screen. So I felt like it was worth going through all the, the, the time and effort you know, because the, the preparation for this movie was pretty intense, almost as if I was making a feature. But uh, it's it's sh- shorts are just are, they're just easier, and and you can, you know, be rolling on them sooner. So that's why for me. Was the actor in your film? Is that his singing voice? His actual singing voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All everybody up on stage are all actual musicians playing so live good. on, so on the set. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and like my, I my wife and I came across him on a, a, a rare date night and both of us had the same idea like we got to put this guy in a movie in his band so uh yeah so yeah they're super they're super talented yeah so for lunchbox i don't think i like purposely set out to be like i'm gonna make a short film what happened was so the inspiration for the film came um i wrote the script the screenplay in 2017 i was Scrolling on my Facebook feed and a video called The Lunchbox Moment came up. And it's this video about Asian Americans who are now adults talking about how, as when they were kids, they were bullied for bringing their quote unquote foreign stinky lunches to school. And how as kids, they like were so ashamed of their culture and their parents and how they pushed their parents away. And now as adults, they're so grateful for their culture, their heritage and their parents. At the end of the video, they got to thank their parents and tell them how much they love them. And I was an emotional wreck. I was bawling my eyes out. 
because I unfortunately can't do that. My mom unfortunately passed away when I was 20 years old. And so what happened in that moment, I was just like, I was just really in, in uh, an emotional state of mind. I sat down and I wrote the first draft of Lunchbox that night. Things have changed in the script since then, but the meat of it is still there. That's not meant to be a pun because there's food in the food. <laughs> Sorry. I was just like, Wait, that's, that was not meant to be a food pun because there's a lot of food in the movie. But yeah, I mean, I think what came out is what I just wanted to say in the moment uh, and the feelings I wanted to express. And it just so, so happened to come out as a short film. It's a love letter to my mom and a catharsis for anyone who has gone through anything similar, has lost a loved one, or has ever felt like they were the other. So nice. I guess for me, I'd always been primarily a screenwriter and like, it's a huge struggle, like without anything being shown that you've actually been able to produce to get people to take a chance on you. And so in 2018, like I had an opportunity to pitch something to Netflix. And the main thing that it got hung up on was that I didn't have any experience. So why the hell would I give you money <laughs> to do something if you were not anybody? So it's pretty devastating. So like I did set out specifically to like do something of my own that I thought I could manage budget-wise, technically-wise. And then the inspiration came from the fact that uh, my own mother lost her firstborn child. And it really devastated her and I think changed the course of her life. How it happened was really tragic. So yeah, I wanted to explore like that kind of relationship between a mother and their child and like the ways in which, you know, we are desperate to hang on to people like even after they're gone. Let's talk a little bit about budget. I understand there may not everyone may want to talk about the exact budget of their film, but in raising money for a short, you're knowing that you're most likely are not going to be able to monetize it at the end of the day. So would each of you or whoever feels comfortable talking about how you went into fundraising and whether you put sort of limits on the budget, knowing that you may not recoup or profit from this project? I'll, I'll go first, I guess, this time. I'll just tell you my budget. I did a crowdfunding campaign and we raised just under 15000 for it. So that all went to the principal photography. And then I was fortunate enough in post to have somebody come on and match that for my post-production budget. Wow. So... I basically approached it, you know, kind of, I'm sure maybe all of you have done crowdfunding, maybe not. Like I kind of just did the whole campaign myself with the help of my uh, producer on it, Clara Connor. And yeah, just made a bunch of posts every day, did a bunch of email blasts, did the kind of whole thing like that. And then the investor, Michael Carrier with his company, Celestia, he just, you know, just to be transparent, his daughter is in the film. And I didn't know that at the time. But after we made it, he approached me and said that he had been really impressed with the way we'd worked on set and really liked the project and wanted to come on board and match the production budget. So I was very fortunate in that regard. The first part of it was a struggle, but the second part was a nice reward. Well, just a quick follow up to that. Did Michael, did were there any conversations about him knowing that the investment may not be financially compensated on oh, his yeah. end. No, I mean, we. I was fully transparent and he knew pretty much from the <laughs> jump that there's no money to be made here. Like this is not, but for him, he had just founded a production company and he was trying to get exposure and stuff on his slate. And then like, of course, you know, me as a poor filmmaker, I'm definitely happy to take some money. <laughs> so like it was, it was nice. It was a good, a uh, good partnership. And yeah. So like yeah, no aspirations that this was ever going to make money now. Yeah, I don't think any of us get into this for money. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have a question for you, Jeff. So, when you say that the fifteen grand that you raised for the Kickstarter basically got you through production, yeah, it, it got me through production. And at the time, like I had a way that I was going to be able to do the post. Okay. Yeah, mostly with the help of a because my I don't know if you watch it, but it has like VF, some VFX. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, it's a lot. I mean, extensive VFX such. So that's why I'm, I'm wondering, like, yeah, did you, because the VFX were such a big part of the movie yeah. and like, did, yeah, like, so you did have a plan. You did have somebody in mind who was going to do that part of it when yeah, you started yeah. shooting. He's uh, an amazing VFX artist. His name's Chris Schwab. And like, he had already started working on it before I was approached by Michael about partnering. Okay, gotcha. Done great yeah. work. But once Michael came on, he wanted to like, hire like a company to do it yeah you know, build that relationship for future projects for him so right but chris is great i mean he works at a professional house and like yeah he was gonna do all that for me cool so the majority of our budget really came in through our seed and spark and actually hmm, the journey to get our short fundraise was it was like a years-long journey so i wrote it in 2017 and we wanted to film the the we wanted to film it in 2020, but, but you know, the pandemic happened. So then we had to push to 2021. And originally for the first three years, nothing was coming in. Like we were applying to grants and stuff and just nobody was, was, was giving us anything. Maybe we want a really small local grant, but it was only like a couple of thousand dollars or something. There's no way that was going to go to cover anything. So we wanted to do crowdfunding in 2020 before we were going to film, but like I said, we had to push everything. So we ended up doing our crowdfunding campaign in 2021. And thankfully, we raised a really great amount of money. And this was, again, the the bulk of the biggest chunk of our funding came from the Seed and Spark. We ended up raising $38,500 on Seed and Spark. I think our initial goal was originally 20. And then like the enthusiasm for our short just really blew us out of the water. I I am like so thankful to all of our Seed Spark supporters and everybody who was so excited about the story. Uh, we did then start getting some grants too from there. But again, the majority of our funding, like the biggest proportion, if you had like a pie chart, would have been from the Seed and Spark. And unfortunately, we we didn't get a lot of grant money until until like 2021 and on. So like we were really biting our fingernails up until that point. But thankfully, the Seed and Spark really came through and it was a great experience i mean i don't wish crowdfunding upon my worst enemy it's such a hard it's a full-time job in and of itself it's really hard it's it's so much work but yeah without it we wouldn't have been able to make our film so for for me i had done one other short before via crowdfunding that i raised about like six seven grand for and it was just a, a, a less expensive movie. This one I knew from the very beginning was going to be more expensive because for one thing, I knew that I wanted to pay everyone, you know, pay the musicians for their time and, and, and talent and our crew. And that, yeah, I wrote my script. I, I, I finished it and handed it to Mac McIntosh, who plays the lead in the movie in like March of 2020. And he was like, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we're not going to do do this for a little while because and you know during that and then it's and then we didn't actually shoot it until december of 2021 so it was almost two wow. years from when i wrote it to when we actually shot it and during that time i did think about like okay well do i reconceive this to like happen outside you know like smaller crowd socially distance and i was like no i just have to hang on to my original vision for it and it's got to be in a smoky club and yeah, I didn't want to compromise in that way. And I just knew that I wanted this to be the prettiest film that I had ever done and like, you know, have like a dolly and like great lenses and, you know, hire a DP who really knew what he was doing. So I knew this was going to be the most expensive short film I'd made up until that point. And so basically I, I 
did a version of crowdfunding, but it was through this nonprofit in Austin, the Austin Film Society. That's this amazing organization that's been around since the 80s that shows movies, but also has this um, uh, grant program, which I applied for twice and didn't get, but I did get, get fiscal sponsorship through them. So essentially, I was able to use their nonprofit status to get people to donate to the Austin Film Society, and then they took out a cut, and then I and then they you know wrote me a check. So basically, I ended up raising and spending about fifteen grand for for the film. All of it funneled through nonprofits. All of it were which were technically donations to the Austin Film Society. So that so all the people who donated pretty much were people that I knew and that I emailed directly. So. It was crowdfunding, but not through a site, not through a public site like Seed and Spark or Kickstarter. Um, you know, I'd used Kickstarter twice before for other projects, but with this one, I just, in a way, I didn't want it to be that public. I guess I wanted it to be kind of like, yeah, I mean, because you know, like, like you guys now, it's like it's such a hustle. Like you're just like hustling, sending out emails, making posts every day, getting everybody involved in the production to like hustle their people, you know, and it's so exhausting. And also takes away a lot of energy that you could be putting towards like the movie, you know, um, it's like a whole other type of production that is also just like public begging, <laughs> that, you know, I've done before and, and, and it will almost certainly do again. But for this project, I was just really lucky in that there were enough people. <laughs> we also use a fiscal sponsor. And I share this just in case like anybody's listening, who's like trying to raise money for their own stuff, but we also used a fiscal sponsor and that was very helpful for us in terms of like some of our largest donors were able to give us money that way so that they could take, you know, some tax benefits yeah. on their contributions. And then we also partnered with some Asian American communities and we garnered some press in Cleveland before the launch of our crowdfunding campaign. And that was, I feel like, also very helpful in terms of getting us to our fundraising goals. Once the film was made too, I felt like it was a little bit easier to win grants because then I could have a rough cut or something to send out. We did win, thankfully, like a really nice post-production grant in New York City. So, so yeah. Did you funnel your Seed and Spark donations through a nonprofit? No, we did not. We did okay. not do all of our Seed and Spark through our fiscal sponsor. No, most of it was through Seed and Spark, but yeah. So you all had pretty impressive film festival runs. So I wanted just to hear about what was your film festival strategy? How did you submit to film festivals? What was your ratio of acceptance? How much did you spend? Like, how did you lobby for yourself for your film? Or did you or did you just blindly submit? Like, talk through the process of, of how you submit to film festival. And Andy, Andy you, you go first since you haven't gone first yet. Oh, observe it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, that's a lot of questions about the film festival. So you want to know about film festival strategy or acceptance rate, how we chose which film festivals to submit to. Is that correct? And how we're Yeah, basically. And, and you can and you can you can just talk about it. And however, like, did you do free waivers? Did you get like or did you just, you know, have a certain amount of budget that you set aside for that? Like, you know, and you don't have to do, answer all the questions at once. You can just talk about like how you approached your film festival strategy. Sure. OK, I will do my best. So I had done the film festival circuit once before with a previous short film. It's a very different short film. It's a sex comedy called Cake. So I already had like a little bit of, I already had some experience 
in terms of like, okay, what do I want? What do I expect? Blah, 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 blah. I feel like the way I typically approach film festivals is at least with my previous short, it was just to get as much exposure as possible to get as many eyeballs in my work as possible and like try and meet people through the festival run like future collaborators, obviously be great if I meet my future investors and stuff, but I have not seen that happen for me yet. Like I know there are stories <laughs> of like, I went to this festival and this person offered me, I don't know, like a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, where is that? Can I win the, can I win that? <laughs> I don't, I have not, I've not witnessed this. Okay. We originally were going for a different festival strategy with Lunchbox in the beginning. I was targeting like the top tier festivals. And I was submitting to a bunch of those and it was very clear that that was the film was not playing well in that in that direction. And once I was like, okay, I'm going to weep and then get get on with it. Then I switched it switched strategy to like, again, to exposure and then going for like second tier festivals, Oscar qualifying ones, but not necessarily like Sundance, South by whatever. And and it's been playing very well in that in that next layer down, which I'm very grateful for. And I think my goal now again is just to get as much exposure as possible. I think this is a story that a lot of people can resonate with. And I think it's like a deeply personal story that I just feel like needs to be told because again, I think there's just a lot of experience people's experiences that can uh, that are similar to this and they need to feel things, I guess. Sorry, that was a really weird way of putting it. Did you do cold submissions or did you, how did you kind of connect with programmers? So in the beginning, it is cold submissions. I mean, I did submit to festivals that Cake played at previously if I felt like it was the right fit. Cake is a very different film. It's a totally different genre. And so not every festival that I submitted Cake to, I felt like was a fit for Lunchbox. But, you know, some like Cleveland, for instance, Cleveland International Film Festival is a is a festival where Cake played. But I also felt like Lunchbox is a great fit for. I mean, it's also a great fit for because Lunchbox was filmed in Cleveland and I'm originally from Cleveland. So there was just like some hometown advantage there. So there were some places where like I had screened before. And with those places, I did ask them if they had alumni discount codes or waivers for all the other ones. In the beginning, I don't generally ask for waivers or discounts. I usually try and wait for maybe like a couple, a handful, a small handful of film festivals to come in. Once I've, once I've like, if the film gets accepted into like five festivals or something, especially if they're Oscar qualifying or noteworthy or like big niche festivals for Asian Americans or something, then I'll like start emailing people before I submit and I'll ask them like, Hey, we played here. Would you consider giving us a discount or a waiver code? And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. Right now, I'm at a place where I always email beforehand and I wait like a couple of weeks to see if they reply. If they do, that's great. If they don't, then I will reconsider if I will. Then I'll think about, you know, whether or not is this a festival I really want to submit to or not. Awesome. Great answer. And I just want to press you on one. I know that I don't maybe I don't know how comfortable you guys are talking about this, but I mean, you know, with my films, I've probably spent like between three and four thousand dollars on submissions sometimes. So where did you land with that? Or are you comfortable saying how much you spent on submissions? Or if you don't want to share budget, the amount of festivals you submitted to. Yeah, just the number. That would be helpful, too. I feel like how many festivals I submit to depends on the film. So like with Cake and Lunchbox, I've submitted to a good amount. I think I'm trying to see if I can pull up. I'll pull up the stats and see. But like, for instance, my my shorts before that, 
I'd submit to a couple and it clearly wasn't playing very well any of them. So those I just didn't invest in. But like these couple of shorts, because I could see that it was playing well, then I would submit to more and more. And also like you start getting inviting to other, you start getting invited to other film festivals too, especially if you if your programmer really really is a good advocate for your film, they'll sometimes recommend you for other ones. But I'm gonna pull up my film freeway and see. But if somebody else wants to answer this question in the meantime. I, I can say <laughs> exactly how much. <laughs> so I think I, 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 because I'm a nerd and I like literally have a spreadsheet and just like keep track of it. But I, I ended up submitting the film to about 95 festivals, I think. And it got into 39. That's pretty good. That's a pretty That's good, good ratio. ratio. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, but like my previous short films, like I did not submit to that many because I just didn't feel like my previous short films, the last two that I made were kind of, you know, kind of one could describe them as uh, boner comedies. One literally <laughs> is a comedy about a teacher who accidentally takes a Viagra on his first day on the job and has to hide his boner from his class. <laughs> so with that movie, even though it's very funny and I'm very proud of it, I was just like, this is not necessarily an award winner. Like this is an, an amusing romp. So I didn't, I, I basically with that, with that film, which was 2015, I sent it to maybe like a dozen, maybe 20 festivals tops, you know, and always starting at the top because it's like, you never know, you know, it's like, yeah, submit to the biggest film festivals, like Sundance, South by Southwest, you know, Telluride, like whatever, you know, just like try because you don't ever know. It may just hit the right programmer at the right time. But then at a certain point when it didn't get into those big festivals, it played at Fantastic Fest. That was kind of like the biggest one that one played at. Then I didn't really feel like it was worth investing a whole lot more like out-of-pocket cash. But I've been doing this for long enough where a lot of, and I've had festivals play my work going back to like 2001 or whatever. I literally like contacted a couple of festivals that showed a short film that I made in 2001. I was like, hey, I'm an alumni <laughs> 20 years ago. Uh, can I get a discount? And a couple of them said yes. So, so yeah, so I ended up doing, with, with this one, with this particular film, I felt like, okay, well, this one, it, you know, it's, it's very different from the other work that I made. It's more heartfelt and earnest and, you know, it's music and, you know, I felt, I felt like it would might maybe have a, a, a wider audience. So I felt like it was worth it to spend that money. So I ended up spending, when I totaled it, totaled it up, because I have been submitting it to festivals since like, you know, the beginning of 2022, since like January of 2022, I think that was my first submission. I was like, Ugh, should I like just total up and see how much I've spent? Because I kind of stopped thinking about it. And it was like, yeah, $1,700. And I was like, oh my God, how, what? That's a lot. But a lot of those were waivers because people, yeah, you just ask. And the worst thing they can say is no. And then you just don't submit to them or you do. You know, you decide, okay, well, this festival is actually seems like, yeah, it's an Oscar qualifier. That's like a, a significant thing that was not a deal, you know, like 10, 15 years ago. The idea that, that, that that's a path towards, towards Oscar qualification to submit. So that's worthwhile, you know, to consider. And then... At a certain point also, I just, because yes, my film, is, it's done so well at so many festivals, but did not really crack the top tier, you know, I think got close, you know, I got some nice notes from people at, at the bigger festivals. But then, so then at a certain point, I really just started submitting to festivals in places that I wanted to go. So I submitted the film to a lot of festivals in Italy and I got into one and I couldn't go. I was like planning oh, on doing it, but then like, damn. just it was like it was in the summer in Italy, and it's like the most expensive time to go to Europe. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to bring my wife and like 
daughter and it was just like, okay, we can't spend thousands of dollars and go to this film festival. And they were, and they weren't going to offer up any, they didn't offer up. They any offered like, like two, two hotel nights. And I was like, not that's enough. not quite enough. <laughs> so, so you'll have to submit me. to an Italian festival that happens like in the winter time. Exactly. When like, and then I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, why did I do this? And 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 I, and I actually so did that and got in and went. So that's very funny. Oh yeah. <laughs> but they also where, covered you, like uh, it uh, was the Ravenna Nightmare Film Festival. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they they paid for like all my food and board. Oh man. While I was there for that's three awesome. nights uh, or two nights. Can't remember what it was. Yeah. And then they gave me a stipend for like for my flight. So it ended up being like you know only Whoa, you're like making three hundred bucks or something yeah. to go. Yeah. Well, so I was like, I have yeah, to go. Back. <laughs> my daughter was like. Yeah three months old though so it was Oof. it was tough I, I my wife forever i'll be thanking her for making that sacrifice for me to go she will never let you forget never <laughs> ever annie sorry did you want to take the last part of that question now or do you should i just go ahead oh yeah no i i think that both cake and lunchbox the acceptance rate was at least 30 percent. i think it might have been a little nice. higher than that but it's a little bit hard to tell because Film Freeway doesn't actually include all the film festivals we submitted to because there were some that were like private submissions that we were invited to submit to. I think it with Cake, we ended up submitting to about 70, 75 or 80 festivals and we got into 38 of them. I think maybe we submitted to more, but that's not all ones that we paid for again. Like some, uh, you know, in the beginning we paid for a, um, a good amount of submissions, but then after it gained traction, it was starting to get invitations and I think Lunchbox, we're, we're not yet at our one-year mark, so and we're still in the process of submitting. I think we're hoping for a one-and-a-half to two-year run. So far, we've been accepted into 28, and I think we've submitted to about, I don't know, maybe 70, 75 again. I'm not sure. But oh. yeah, we have not been paying for every single submission once, once the films start finding their place on the festival circuit, we start getting waivers or discount codes and, and the, the savings add up, which is really helpful. Nice. I feel like if you get into more than 20 film festivals, you're doing something right. You know, like you should be very proud. <laughs> oh. No matter no matter how many film festivals you submit to, if you get into 20, it's like, OK, that's that's amazing. Should be feeling good. <laughs> the short, the shorts that I'm, the short that I made before cake. So like before lunchbox, before cake. That one only played in two. So yeah, I'm I'm just very grateful whenever we get into anything, and it's just like really grateful for anybody to watch our work. Really. So I guess like how did we submit to festivals? So I, I handled pretty much all of the actual submissions, but I, I had a lot of help. So Mike, who had come on board and post, he he wanted to do kind of an all out assault on uh, film festival submissions and strategists. So like he hired Liz actually to be, uh, to be a lobbyist. I've been trying to be really quiet about that because <laughs> I didn't know I didn't if you know. wanted to I, say I or not. Sure I ask you. <laughs> Liz is great. If you ever want to use her services, she's amazing. He also hired festival formula, if you all know what that is. And this company called film festival mastery. So he wanted to use it as an opportunity for him to learn and get as many like points of contact and exposure in the industry as possible, which was really nice for me. And we ended up submitting, I think, to 200 film festivals. So, wow. Yeah, it was, it was a whole bunch more. I was going to spend $1,500 originally on the film festival run before Mike came on board. And then it kind of went up, I think, to $6,000. Wow. And so like, it was, it was great. It was also just a whole lot of work. 
And in terms of lobbying, yeah, like Liz was great. And then my girlfriend and producing partner on the film, Clara Connor, she wrote a bunch of like follow-up emails and stayed in contact with programmers, let them know when we got into somewhere. Sorry if you hear my cat. And yeah, like it was a, and ratio of acceptance, probably not as good as you two. I think we've gotten into like 24 or five out of those. So like probably like, what is that? 10 to 15% somewhere in there, but it's been a good run. It's my first ever film. So like I, I got really lucky with uh, the investment and that I had so many great people and Eric, who's also involved with this show is my best friend. And he was also <laughs> a great advocate for the film. Jeff, uh, we can cut this out, but I do want to advocate for you in, in this additional detail about your film festival run, which is you cut the duration of your film by a uh, yeah. little bit in the midst of your film festival submissions. I cut it four minutes. And I wow. just from my vantage point, it felt like when you cut it down, momentum surged for yeah, you. For sure. It was a lot different after that. I'm so glad I did it because, you know, we'd gotten told that it's just too long to program. It was almost 20 minutes before. And even though in some ways I like that longer version for one of the scenes, I think that, yeah, undoubtedly it helped. I mean, like right after that, we started getting into places. So yeah, thanks, Liz. Yeah, it was a big shift. And just oh. really quick, what's everyone's length? I just want to like, just re- let's, let's do rapid fire. Like what's the length of everyone's yeah, mine shorts? Mine is 14 minutes, 58 seconds. Mine is 16 minutes, 15 seconds. And mine is eight minutes and one second. Nice. <laughs> one second. <laughs> I, needed that, I needed that one second. Arik and I will be fired if we don't ask this question, but we are running out of time. So hopefully we can kind of, again, do this rapid fire answer. And Annie, you kind of addressed this already, but Eric Toms, our producer, wants us to ask about the value of film festivals. Is there anything other than exposure and networking that y'all were searching for when you were submitting to film festivals? I mean, I think everyone's trying to win the lottery. Everybody wants to try and find their future <laughs> investor who's like got this deep pocket of cash that just they're just like, here you go, make it rain. But I think the reality, at least for me, from what I've found is you're playing the lottery if that's what you're looking for. That's just a, a matter of chance and luck. And I feel like what's been most, most fulfilling for me is going to the festivals, meeting the audiences, connecting with the audience, especially with this film, which is so deeply personal. I've just had some really amazing conversations with people who tell me so much about their own personal life stories. And it's like, we always end up like in tears and hugging. And that's just like, wow, this is a big, huge reminder to me. It's always a reminder to me of like, okay, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm a filmmaker. This is like, reminds me to my core why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's not for the the likes and the awards and the the whatever, the glitz and stuff. I mean, there's not a lot of glitz in indie filmmaking. It's all like a struggle. <laughs> but this is why this is like good. It's like reminds me of like, this is why it's worth the struggle. It's like, we do this to connect with people. We do this to tell our stories. But then also like truly the, the networking, like meeting other filmmakers, meeting producers, meeting just the people that you meet, you never know who are going to help you. Some of the people that I met from my previous festival run have been the biggest advocates of my career and my work. And you just never know who you can help and who can help you. And we're all rising together, which is really exciting. Awesome. Well, for me, I just wanted to make something. So like that was value enough of a, in and of itself. And then with film festivals, I think Annie's right. Like it's the experience of going there more than anything else. It's the best. Like meeting people that love your film or have questions about it or even don't like it, you know, like getting feedback and being able to like understand better how 
you can improve and do stuff that's worthwhile. I think that was probably the best experience for me by far. I think the best value, obviously, like I set out to like more like, Oh, maybe I'll get like better representation or better opportunities or like, you know, win the lottery or something like that. But I guess in some ways, maybe I did beforehand, like that I was fortunate, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it was mostly just about the experience of going, like it quickly became that too. Like it was much more just looking forward to having people see your film more than anything else and get a chance to do that. Yeah. Ditto for both of you. I mean, just, yeah, the, the, uh, you know, and I think also just for, for me, this is a movie that was more serious than anything or not anything that, but the, at least the last couple of short films that I had done and the, you know, and, and, and as it was for, for you two, it's based on personal experience where my father-in-law, like right around the time that I wrote the movie my father-in-law, you know, it was clear that he was suffering from dementia and that, and that has just consumed so much of our lives kind of dealing with, with that and the, the pain of all that to him and uh, the people around him, you know, his daughters and wife and, and, and everything. And so, you know, it's like with this movie, that's what people connect to. You know, it's like the people who really, really connect to the movie and really like it are ones who have personal experience with this issue. And yeah, like having those crying moments, you know, <laughs> with people uh, or people, you know, feeling like they can talk about their experience with somebody and, and how, how painful it all has been. And, you know, people will tell tell me like, your movie made me cry. And I'm like, you're welcome. I guess I don't know. I mean, it's like that's that is what I I want. I want it to be emotionally moving. You know, as painful as that is, because because that recognition is important. And then and then also just in terms of film festivals, it's like you know, the collective movie going experience of like people going to a place, sitting together in the dark, and all experiencing a story together. Like that is just becoming less and less part of our daily lives because of you know these things and. Like film festivals are one of the few places where like you as an artist actually get a chance to like see people experience your story in real time, you know, sitting in there, feeling the crowd, what happens to them as the turns of the movie, you know, occur. It's just becoming a rare and rare experience, you know, because so much of the media that we consume is by ourselves, you know. And so that's one of the great things that festivals can provide still. Awesome. So this is kind of like very close to the same question, but I really want to ask it because I think when people go into making shorts films, they sometimes have goals in mind. So, and, and it's really interesting to hear like what those goals are and like if they, if they came, you know, if they were achieved or not. So basically that's the question. Like what, did you have a goal with your short when you, before you made it and have you hit that goal or do you think you're going to hit the goal with what that you had in the beginning? Yeah. I think for me it was, Primarily just to have something to call my own that I made that it was like I could actually show to people and not just be like, here's a script and nobody gives a crap about it. (laughs) So that was the main goal. And then I think, yeah, like getting like representation was like a huge one. There has been some traction on that. So that's been nice. I didn't set out to make it like as a proof of concept. Like, you know, some people I know do that kind of thing. It has generated interest, like the premise in making it a feature. So I've since like worked on a feature version of it. Then I'm going to, it's very different than the short. Obviously it has to be expanded out. Yeah. Those are my goals probably, you know, just to have something to call my own. And then I could send it out and try to like, you know, get traction with other projects I've written in the past or as a way to prove myself to people. I think for me, the first and foremost goal was to make something in memory of my, in in the memory of my mom, a tribute to her. I feel very satisfied and content with what we made. I feel like we 
I really feel very proud of what we made. And I feel like I hope she's, I hope she's proud too. I think the additional goals from there is like, you know, of course, connecting with an audience, which thankfully I feel like we have, I think we made something that feels authentic and true that people uh, resonate with. And then also the opportunity to really challenge myself as a director, working with a budget that I've never worked with before, working with kids, working with food, working with just a much larger scale. I got a really amazing directing opportunity for my first TV episode in 2020, but unfortunately fell through because of the pandemic and the show was canceled. So, you know, nothing was coming my way for a year or so. And I was already planning to make this short film. So I went all into this. If I, if no one's going to give me the opportunity to like grow as a director and to tell like really deep, impactful stories, then this is an opportunity that I gave to myself. This film really tested what I've ever, it's the hardest film I've ever made emotionally, creatively, physically. It's just so all demanding. The production is, was the hardest I've ever worked with, the largest production too. So I learned a lot as a person, as a creative and as a director. And I'm, I, that I've, I've just, yeah, this film has given me a lot. So, so the, the original question was about goals, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was your goal? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think a big part of it was like, Pushing myself, you know, like Annie said, like trying something new, trying something, deliberately setting out a more challenging task than, you know, two people in a room, you know, like, or just, you know, sort of silly comedies, like, like, can I, can I deliver something that is primarily dramatic and sort of, instead of tangentially dramatic and, you know, can I shoot this musical performance? Cause I, I, I shot a couple of musical performances in other films that I'd made I didn't really feel like I quite got it right, you know, and I, I wanted to try to like challenge myself and, and like I said, to kind of make it the prettiest film that I'd ever made. So I really focused on the visuals and spent a lot of time thinking through every shot and also just like thinking through with, with all the productions that I've done. I always felt like, like I was always, and you always are under the gun, but that I didn't want to do that terrible thing where you make a shot list of like 15 shots and three hours in, you're like, I have to cut half of these and I have to figure out what I have to do the triage here on the set in front of everybody, rather than like really being honest with myself about how fast of a director am I? I'm not Robert Rodriguez. I'm never going to be somebody who can just like go, go, go. I'm meticulous. I want to take my time. I want to make sure that we, you know, I get exactly what I want from the performances before we move on. And so, yeah, I, I took that on as a challenge to myself with this movie to just like be like exhaustively prepared. Yeah. And I think, and I feel like I, I don't know, I just, so I just kind of achieved all those goals before we, the movie was even done. And so as far as what has happened since then and what I expected from it, a lot of people have asked me like, are you interested in expanding this into a feature? And my answer usually is like, no, because then it's just going to be really sad. <laughs> it's like I shot the fun part of the story, you know? This is where the joy is. There's very little joy to come after this point. <laughs> I mean, I know that there would be a way to write it in such a way where I could do that, but like to me, this this was the story, and it was and it was done, and it kind of so I don't know. I mean, but enough, enough people have asked me about it where I, I had to you know devote some time to thinking about it, but I just don't I don't really know where to go story wise after this point without it just being a real bummer because you know that is the reality of, of the disease. Well, talking about that, this is the worst segue ever. Talking about where to go. Yeah, yeah. Distribution. So both Ulrich and I just released uh, our latest shorts. 
Auric, if you if you allow me to speak for you, sorry, you went on Vimeo, I went on YouTube, we're doing our own forms of promotion. What are your plans for release? Is it a short form platform? Is it throwing it up on your website? Can you tell us what your what your plans are? Well, in in, in all those submissions to all those film festivals, I also applied to all of those like short film gatekeepers, you know, all the, the, the big ones, which is like where I find short films to share with my students. And they all said, you know, politely, no, no, thanks. So, so I, uh, I, I have, I have, I have an, an offer on the table from a short film distributor <laughs> that is kind of hilariously low. So I think I may end up just releasing it myself, uh, basically just putting it up, you know, on YouTube and Vimeo and letting people discover it and, you know, kind of using the network that I've built with the film festivals that it's played, try, you know, just try to get everybody to know that it's out there and release it, you know, because, because again, it's like the goal never really was to monetize the movie, but just to see it as, have it seen as widely as possible. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of hit a wall where it's like all the, all those gatekeepers that I, that I thought maybe we'd have a chance with were not interested. So I'm just like, well, just release it myself, I guess. So. And just to add for those who may not know those platforms, it's like film shortage, short of the week, those kind of amuleto, those kind of platforms. Okay. I have no experience with distribution with short films. So I am just going to absorb all the information you guys have to say. We would ideally love to do online distribution after a festival run. And we're also looking to do an educational run of the film as well. So those are our goals. And I will absorb your information. <laughs> uh, I wish I had more information to give you. I don't have any experience. Obviously, this is my first film. So <laughs> I, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I have no idea. I'd love to get on a site like Dust for sci-fi. I think that would be really yeah. cool. That would probably be my number one. Early on in the festival run, a couple places had reached out. I don't know much about them. And at the time, I was like, we're so early in our run. I'm not like interested in doing this right now. But other than that, yeah, like uh, probably the coolest thing that happened, it's not really distribution, but there was a uh, think tank in Tokyo that talks about AI. And they found my film. I don't know how they found it, but they found it. And I talked with the researchers there and they asked if they could use it in their classroom as like a springboard to talk about stuff. And I thought that was really cool. Cause like, I was, you know, that is not something I never expected to happen or was looking to happen. So it was a nice, like, you know, cherry on the Sunday kind of thing. That is cool. Yeah. And I, I am also look, looking to, you know, because of the subject matter of this film kind of connect with, Alzheimer's and dementia communities and, 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 you know, just again, trying to find the, the gatekeepers, you know, whatever organizations that have newsletters and maybe would include it in their weekly newsletters to people. I don't know, but, but it's, that, that is new to me. I've never done anything like that with a, with a film before, but, but I have had people kind of approach me and ask me about that interested in kind of like once the movie is available, kind of promoting it, which that's the, you know, that, that would be great. Nice. All right. Well, we normally do like a whole bunch of questions for everybody at the end of our show. But since we got three of you and we're short on time, we're just going to do one. Uh, we picked one question. So uh, the question is, what's the best filmmaking advice you have ever received? And whoever wants to go first can go. <laughs> Everyone mutes themselves and looks off in the corner. I mean, I think this is like, I don't know if this is something that anyone has specifically said, but the but I think the the gist of it is that you always it's just important to always add to your body of work, you know, because it's like, you know, one of the things that I do, I teach is film history. Right. And it's like there's the, the, the film history is just littered with 
filmmakers who at, at their time when they were doing their thing, nobody cared and nobody was paying attention, you know, until suddenly 20 years later, people are like, oh my God, where has this director been all of my life? And look at all these amazing things that this person has done, you know? And it's like, there's no opportunity to, to, for that to happen to you as a filmmaker is if, if you don't create stuff, you know? And so I think like, rather than thinking like, like having that, that attitude that like, you know, every film that you make is the most important film that you, or, you know, has to achieve all of the goals that you have for it and has to be both creatively great and everybody needs to recognize that it's creatively great and needs to push your career forward and all that kind of stuff. It's like all that just sort of gets in the way of just building a body of work. Cause it's like, if you think about it, like, you know, unfortunately filmmaking is just one of the most expensive art forms ever, you know? And so like an artist, a painter, all they need to really do to like create a body of work is like canvas and paints, you know, we need a lot more than that. But in order to get better at it and actually like know what you're doing on the set and with the, the, the machinery of production, you just need more days on the set, you know? And so it's, I don't know, just like trying to make, like you were saying, Andy, just like making opportunities for yourself is such a huge part of your job as a, as a, as a director. So that's kind of the attitude I'm trying to go forward with. I feel like this is an extremely difficult question. I don't know why I'm sitting here and I'm like, what have people told me? And what is the most, the best advice I've ever received? I mean, there's like two things come to mind. One is like, I, and I, I, I too, like Brian, don't know if this is something that specifically someone has told me or just things I have absorbed and learned through the process and through the years. On a technical side or on the directing focus side, it's like the importance of prep and then also like, prepping, but also like when you get to set, if things are not working, be flexible, right? Like be open to that play, be open to that spontaneity because you can do all the prep and the prep is good in terms of understanding the core, like what is the story of the scene? What is the purpose of the scene? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Like, so all that foundation is there so that when things do go wrong, because things will go wrong, because things always go wrong, you are prepared then to like be able to adjust to that. And you'll remember like, okay, well, what was the objective of this? What are we trying to get across? So like, what can I find? What is the solution here that I, that the prep is not working. So like, what can I do instead? So like from a technical standpoint, I think having that like preparedness, but also the openness to, 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 to be flexible is like something to keep in mind on set. But then I think these days I've also just been thinking a lot about like sustainability in this career and in this industry. So like sustainability as me as a person, I think once I, I like was interviewing a producer and they were like, Oh yeah, I won't work with any director that doesn't have like a hobby outside of film or something. And, and he is really speaking to just like you as a person, like, you know, they filmmaking is so hard that it's working with jerks just makes it that much harder and it's not fun. But also if you're a jerk, there's probably stuff that you're just like not settled within within yourself or whatever. So I think these days I've just been thinking about like, you know, I think it's really important to remind myself of who I am outside of filmmaking because that also feeds the filmmaking. Like who am I as a person feeds the filmmaking and vice versa. And so, and, and it helps fuel the sustainability of one's career. Like if I put all my worth and all my value of myself in just this identity of myself, it's, I don't know how healthy that is. So. I guess in terms of advice on like the holistic who you are as a person whole is just like remember who you are as a whole person and not just this one identity. Bye. That's filmmaking advice. I think it was probably when I was in a grad school and it was like a screenwriting class. 
my professor was Ron Friedman and I told him I was going to be like, miss the first half of class. So I wander into class and like, they're going over a script. They're like workshopping it. And I sit down and everybody is just like shit talking. I don't know. Can we say that on this? Can we say shit? Uh, everybody's just shit talking it, like just tearing it apart. And I'm like, man, this script must suck. And then I realized about five minutes in that he had taken my script while I wasn't there and just like been workshopping it to death and just like obliterating it. And so like for another hour, I just like shrink further and further back into my chair. Like, oh my God, like this is the worst experience of my life. And yeah, I went on and then like everybody gets let out of class and he has to talk to me. And it was really simple advice. He just was like, you got to do the work because he was right. I hadn't done a good job. I had basically just mailed it in just to have pages for the class. And he said, you know, do the work, like don't show up unprepared. Don't half ass things because this is what's going to happen in this industry. If you do, people are going to take you seriously. Probably a little abusive in hindsight. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's sadism, Jeff. Like... Um, but it did, it did, it was, it was nice to hear. Cause like before that, like I'd had a script that he'd read and he'd had no notes. And I thought like, oh, I can do no wrong with this guy. Like, it's going to be awesome. So yeah, like just always like hold myself accountable uh, to like, bring myself to it. And Annie, you're right too. Like, don't just get so caught up in this as your identity, like do other things and accept that there are so many things you can't control in the industry where like, it doesn't really matter. Like you, you could put your best foot forward and do everything you could do. And it might not respond. People might not respond to it. And that's totally fine because as long as you did what you set out to do, it's, it's great. Amazing that you took what is just a horrific situation and then turns it into the best advice you've ever heard. We like to end the show with a call to action so that each of you can direct people to how others listening can follow you, support you, see the film, whatever it is. So let's so let's do reverse alphabetical order of my first name. So Jeff, t- tell people where to go to support you or find out more. Yeah, sure. Uh, to support me, uh, you can go. I have Instagram at Golf Panther. You can also check out the film at amindcannottouch.com. And in terms of seeing it, like, yeah, the festival run probably be wrapping up pretty soon, probably early in next year. And then after that, fingers crossed, maybe there is distribution. But if not, I'll probably just put it up on Vimeo so everyone can see it and do some promotion. Thanks. Yeah, Don't You Go Nowhere is ending its uh, festival run. It's been playing at festivals since June of last year. But to let, so the, to the upcoming opportunities, I'm leaving for Bend, Oregon tonight, the Bend Film Festival. And then it's going to play at the Center Film Festival in uh, Central Pennsylvania, at State College, PA. And then in Alabama, the Fairhope uh, Film Festival, uh, first week of November. And so soon after that, I think, is when I'll be putting it up on the uh, internets <laughs> for people to discover. But I do have a website, brianpoiser.com, where you can find some other short films, some of those boner comedies I was talking about, if you want to watch those. Those are up on Vimeo and have been for a couple of years. And then for me, Lunchbox is still on its festival run and will probably still be on our festival run for at least another half a year, maybe up to a year. Uh, so you can follow the film at Lunchbox the Film. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And then if you want to follow me, my handle is Annie Who Films. But I spell it without the I. So A-N-N-E-H-U-F-I-L-M-S. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm currently writing my first feature, which is horror action comedy. I need something lighter after this uh, drama. So follow me or my film. 
Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show. Liz, what do you remember about our talk with Annie, Brian, and Jeffrey? I remember two things. One is that Brian had made a couple features, one of which I was fairly familiar with. It didn't click mm. prior to us talking to him that he was going to be on the show. But I remember that he, just the idea of like, you think about shorts filmmakers and you think, oh, well, they're emerging filmmakers. And it's like, no, you and I went back to doing shorts after doing features, right? So it's like just reminding myself that these are artists who are exercising their creative muscle. So I remember thinking about Brian and and how he went back to shorts and, and derived a lot of joy and meaning from, from that experience. And then also that I had to like go at the end of the interview. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go, you guys, you know, finish your conversation amongst yourselves. And like, I'd periodically come back into the room and they would like still be talking like 20, 30 <laughs> minutes later. So like they had a lot to say to each other, which was, you know, quite lovely. What do you remember? I remember like how different everybody's fundraising and budgets were that like, mm-hmm. you know, they were kind of on all different schedule, like levels, but they all were kind of also not that different, you know, too. But like a couple had way more than or oh, yeah. one, I think, had way more than, than the others. But like just like how it is possible to raise money for shorts. I always think that it's like impossible, but like there are three examples of people who were able to raise the money to make their shorts and, and a and couple ex- examples on a pretty high level, I would say. And so it was just like kind of encouraging to like hear that like, yeah, the money is out there. Like you can do it. Like you can pull it all together and make your butt, your short on the, on a bigger level. Like whether you should or not is like another question, which I, I, I think we kind of touched on a little bit in, in the interview, but like, we did, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just it's like kind of it's kind of crazy with the short filmmaking because it's like a thing that you're not really ever going to get your money back on, but like it could help your career in big ways and it could help you as an artist in lots of big ways. But it's like, you know, what is right for you? It's like it's different for everybody, you know, but the fact that you can find the investors out there to do it. That's pretty cool. Or the philanthropists more than the investors, the yeah, kind individual patrons, you know, patrons, the patrons. Yeah. And then I think the same thing as you, like it was striking that Brian had already made features and went back to do a short, you know, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, I guess it just goes to show like that the feature just because you made a couple features, it doesn't mean that like, you know, you're not going to be in a situation where you're going to want to make a short or you're going to need to make a short or you're not going to have an option to do a feature and that like the short's just better for a lot of reasons. It's not so going backwards. Cool yeah. And I've, if I had yeah. my druthers, I think I would just make shorts my entire life. Like, I really, <laughs> really love it. It's I love how simple I love how like bite size a short can be for your mind to get around it. Whereas right. the feature is like with my script right now, it's just very overwhelming all the time. So it's good practice for us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I keep on toying with the idea of making a short, but I'm always just like, where will I raise the money to do said short? Yeah. I have no idea. And I'd rather, like, at the moment, I'd rather put my energy into raising funds for a feature. Yeah. That's just much more exciting to me than doing it for a short. But you know what is exciting to me? What? The game. 
So, for those who don't know, if you're listening to it for the first time, we play this thing called The Game. It's a game that our producer Eric Toms invented, and it's basically an indie filmmaker challenge, like a like a scenario, like a quandary, like a, a puzzle to be solved Ooh. as an indie filmmaker. So, basically, Eric will come up with these questions, or sometimes we get them from the listeners. You know, Liz or I will solve it on the spot. So there's, Liz has never heard this question before. I actually even haven't read it before. I'm reading it right now for the first time. And she's going to have to kind of, kind of figure out like what she would do in this situation. And then once she goes, then I can add, you know, if I would do anything differently, if I think she nailed it, which honestly, Liz almost always is nailing it with her answers or even thinking about things I wouldn't have thought of. But this is very exciting. So here we are. We're ready to play the game. You've been hired by a producer who is also the financier to shoot a low-budget, dramatic family movie. The producer has a very tight and specific shoot and distribution schedule. The script is okay at best, but you're a, a gun for hire, so you just roll with it. Production will be 14 days at the end of September, then two months for post. The, that way, the producer can get his sales agents to push the film in time for Christmas. Season. Oh, my God. He's done Wait, this Wait, that's not enough time. Success. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's not enough time to be ready for Christmas, Eric. Okay. No, it's not. The script tells a story from the father's point of view, but after reading it, it becomes clear that the story would work much better and be far more emotionally resonant if it were rewritten and told from the daughter's POV. The actors and writer agreed the rewrite would improve the script. The producer likes the idea, but is adamant about sticking to his schedule. (laughs) Do you? Rewrite the script and cut a week or more out of your production post schedule. Keep the script the way it is now and shoot a mediocre script. Beg the producer to wait for next Christmas season so the script will be in a place and have the appropriate amount of production time. Other. What do you do, director? What do uh, you do? Oh, my God. I am stumped. I am stumped. I don't foresee a world where the producer is going to change their mind and wait a year. Like, that doesn't seem like a viable option for me to be like, hey, can you push this back nine months so that we could do a re- rewrite of the script because the way he set up the question is this is kind of like whatever. I'm sorry if this is based off a real person, but this is kind of a schlocky producer who's just trying to like grind out projects, right, for and capitalize on the season. So I don't think you ask for more time because I don't think it's likely. And I think what I would do is option C, which is shoot what you have and then ask for a pickup weekend, you know, and that pickup weekend can be in the middle of the two months you have for post-production. Once you cut the film together, I also think you go in getting more coverage and reaction shots of the daughter, knowing you're going to add more from her point of view. But I would not take a week out of that production. I would not make a feature in seven days if it's scheduled for 14. That seems very difficult. And it's if they really are going to be ready for Christmas, you don't have any time to play with to to write something new, I don't think. But Eric, just quickly, like when you work with a distribution company, you're going to need a three to four month turnaround to pitch to platforms. So you need that film to be done way before September. You can't shoot in September. Doesn't make any sense. Well, let's like imagine this is a scenario where like the company that's hiring you is like vertically integrated, right? So they not only 
can pay for the production, but they can also, they also have the the means to distribute it through one of their channels, you know? So like, as long as they get the, the piece by December 1st or December 2nd, they can have it launched by December 9th or something. I will accept that, but I don't, but it is very unlikely. I will accept I'm not it saying it's. I'm not <laughs> saying that this is like a likely thing. I'm just saying that like, let's just for the sake of this yes. question, like let's just embrace this <laughs> as a possibility. And I do think that like, there probably are companies out there that would like rush a movie to get it done, but like probably not by December 1st, more like by Jan- like, November 1st. You need a latest. runway to market yeah. it too. Like yeah, you, you gotta can't just it. put it there on the platform and assume, yeah. I mean. But maybe they could, but maybe they can market it while you, they already have the poster already done and everything's already set before you right, make the right. movie so like they don't have to like wait for the movie to be done to market it potentially I don't know I'm just saying there's right. probably are like crazy people in the world Asylum probably yeah. does this all oh, the time yeah. and Ex- I'm just exactly. upset by it existing in life yeah it enrages us uh, filmmakers but it does happen <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah what would I do honestly if I'm a gun for hire and I have this timeline and I've accepted this, like I would just do the best I can within the time I have. I think this is the same answer you gave. And well, just, except for asking you know, for a pickup weekend. I mean, I do think that's what yeah, you do, but I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like just work with what you got, you know, like, you know, you have the cast, you have, you know, the locations, you have everything just do rewrites that will fit within your, your schedule and fit within your production that will make the better, the story better. But don't ask because you're not going to get it most likely because they've already agreed that this script is great. They already agreed that this is, you know, already. So like just getting them to accept that your version is better is like the best win ever. So if you have that, then do whatever you can within the the schedule and the time you have to like execute that. But like they're already on board, so they're not going to like give you more money or more time or more anything like you need to hit that. So like I would just try to rewrite it and make it better within what I the, what I've been given, because I really want to work with this company again as a working director. And I, I don't want to like, you know, be difficult or whatever. I want to be like, yeah, making it awesome and hitting my deadline and hitting my budget and being like a rock star, you know, so I did, I did think of one alternative, which we've talked about many times, but it's like just hire a DP and get the actors on board and maybe have a shooting style that is a fluid camera so that you're just rolling all the time. You know what I mm. mean? Like that mm-hmm. that they're capturing constantly so that you could, again, have something in the can to play with to strengthen the daughter's story in any way. Yeah. Yeah. But sounds good. I mean, 14 days for a feature. I mean, I'd done one in 12, but like it was one location. Like, I just don't think this is who knows. Who knows? I'm bringing a lot of presumptions into this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to make a movie in 14 days at some point in my career soon. I mean, I, I, I was trying to do it in 15 days and I couldn't. It had to be whatever it was, 18 days, 19 days at the end. But like, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's it's hard. So like you're 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 gonna be it's gonna be tough to even just make it work within right. the schedule you have, right? That's my regardless point. of script changes. So yeah. you know. Well, do you agree with us? Do you not agree with us? Are you less angry than I am at Eric about his presumption of post production and distribution <laughs> schedules? You can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. 
Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. We want to shout out the International Screenwriters Association, which is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the programs they offer. Head on over to networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Check out their top 25 writers list. We want to thank Annie Hu, Brian Poser, Jeffrey Prother for coming on the show. Thanks to Don Hessel from the Hell's Half Mile Film Festival for setting all this up. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Breimuth, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. Thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. That's a lot of dudes, yet again. We are a dude-heavy show. Ulrich always says it, but we really are. We're trying to improve. But And thanks to all of you for listening and talk to you all next week. The other thing that's really cool to see what happens is to um, go on to our Patreon page <laughs> and support us. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Um, take, I liked it. Yeah. I thought that was good. It was really meandering. It was like taking forever.